Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning and happy Murder in the News Monday that I'm going to try to release every single Monday morning because the rest of the regular news is just hot, scary garbage and you know you'd rather be hearing me and my bullshit anyway. I collect news articles along with articles sent to me by you, my beloveds, and others. Thank you for submitting. Unlike my regular podcast that I write out in its entirety before I record, this is unscripted, and I don't read the articles past the headlines so you and I can react together. So let's get started. So our first article comes from abcnews.go.com, and the title is Cases of Leprosy on the Rise in Florida, Report Says. Gee, many Christmas. Cases of leprosy are rising in Florida, according to a new analysis published in the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Emerging Infectious Diseases Journal. Although the disease is still rare in the U.S., with just 159 cases reported in 2020, a study released Monday from the EID and shared by the CDC found that Central Florida accounts for a bulk of those cases. Central Florida appears to have the highest concentration of cases in the Sunshine State, with the region accounting for nearly one-fifth of reported cases in the U.S. Leprosy, known as Hansen's disease, is a lingering infectious disease caused by the acid fast rod Mycobacterium leprae. Mycobacterium leprae? The disease mostly impacts the skin and the peripheral nervous system, according to the EID. Today, the disease is curable with antibiotics. Oh, Jimmick, thank God. Quote, leprosy has been historically uncommon in the United States. Incidents peaked around 1983, and a drastic reduction in the annual number of documented cases occurred from the 1980s through 2000, the EID said in its report. However, since then, reports demonstrate a gradual increase in the incidence of leprosy in the United States. End quote. Most of the cases from 2020 were from Florida, California, Louisiana, Hawaii, New York, and Texas, according to the Health Resources and Services Administration. In recent decades, cases have been from travelers coming to the U.S. Now, researchers are pointing out that roughly one-third of cases from 2015 to 2020 appear to have been acquired locally, suggesting that disease is being transmitted in the U.S., either from person to person or from contact with animals like armadillos. Oh. In 2015, one Florida county reported an increase in leprosy cases where three people were diagnosed with the disease in five months. And experts are saying that some of those infections from 2015 came from people interacting with armadillos, a known carrier of the disease. Seems like I knew that, but good to be reminded. Don't play with armadillos. So our next article comes from eOnline.com, and the title reads, A Woman Breaks Free from Alleged Oregon Kidnapper's Cinder Block Cell with Bloody Hands. I think we've all heard about this case by now, but in case you don't know, after being kidnapped and held inside a makeshift cinder block cell in an Oregon home, a woman was able to escape by banging on the door until her hands bloodied, according to police. 
An alleged kidnapper is in police custody after a woman was able to escape a harrowing situation. Nagasi Zubiri, 29, is accused of kidnapping a woman in Washington and taking her hundreds of miles away to his home in Klamath Falls, Oregon, after posing as an undercover police officer, according to the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Portland Field Office. Quote, according to the complaint, this woman was kidnapped, chained, sexually assaulted, and locked in a cinder block cell. Stephanie Shark, assistant special agent in charge with the FBI Portland Field Police, said in a statement included in an August 2nd press release, quote, Police say she beat the door with her hands until they were bloody in order to break free. Her quick thinking and will to survive may have saved other women from a similar nightmare. We are fortunate that this brave woman escaped and alerted authorities, end quote. Police said the victim told investigators that Zubiri abducted her by pointing a taser and placing her in handcuffs, leg irons, and putting her in the back seat of his vehicle, traveling roughly 450 miles while allegedly sexually assaulting her. After arriving at his home in Oregon, according to the victim, she was moved into a makeshift cinder block cell located in this man's garage, which had a metal door installed in reverse so it could only be opened from the outside. After Zubiri left, she repeatedly banged on the door until her hands bloodied and was able to break the door open and escape the room, according to authorities. The victim was then able to flag down a passerby who called 911. So I know a little bit more about this one, actually. <clears throat> the cinder block room that she was in um, was real rough. It looks like it's about, I don't know, four feet by five feet or something. It was in his garage, just like this cinder block room in his garage. Apparently, he has a lot of aliases and that he has moved around quite a bit. He has a baby mama who complained about him and then kind of also stood up for him. Um, yeah, he's, this guy's got a lot going on. He was pretty seriously disturbed, we'll say. So I'm certainly glad that she escaped with her life. And our next article comes from smithsonianmag.com, the Smithsonian Magazine. Title is, Melting Swiss Glacier Reveals Remains of Climber Who Disappeared in 1986. So, mountaineers trekking along a glacier in Switzerland have made a surprising discovery the body and equipment of a hiker who had been missing for nearly 40 years. On July 12th, the group was traveling across Theodol Glacier in Zermatt, Switzerland, not far from the famous Matterhorn Mountain, when they stumbled upon pieces of gear and human remains, per a statement from the local police. Authorities sent the remains for DNA testing, and it revealed that the newly discovered body belonged to a German mountain climber who had gone missing in September of 1986. The police did not share the deceased individual's name, but they said the mountaineer was 38 years old in 1986. At the time, search teams tried to find the hiker but were ultimately unsuccessful. It's not clear how or why the German alpinist died, nor the conditions that made it impossible for the person to return home safely. However, discoveries like this one may become more and more common amid rising global temperatures as glaciers continue to melt. Quote, 
The retreat of the glaciers brings to light an increasing number of missing alpinists who were reported missing several decades ago, police said in the statement. Last summer was a particularly bad year for Swiss glaciers, which lost an estimated 6% of their remaining volume, a record-breaking figure that nearly doubled the previous highest melt rate set in 2003. Some small glaciers nearly disappeared, while large ones lost so much ice that they exposed bare rock that had been covered for nearly 2,000 years. So... It says it's too soon to tell how much volume the glaciers will lose this summer. The summer's record-breaking hot temperatures have likely only made the situation worse. So, but I mean, it must not have been too built up or he wouldn't have been laying on top of that particular part either. So, I don't know. I'm not going to wear the tinfoil hat on this one. Our next one comes from CowboyStateDaily.com and the title is Man Accused of Torturing Wife After He... No, after she helped get him out of assault charge. So a Glendo, Wyoming man whose wife helped him dodge an aggravated assault conviction last year now faces numerous violent criminal charges for allegedly torturing and terrorizing her throughout two years of their marriage. A Glendo, Wyoming man whose wife helped him dodge an aggravated assault conviction last year now faces... Why is that paragraph in there twice? Daniel Leanweber, Leanweber, who was 59 this year, could spend up to life in prison if convicted on the 13-count array of aggravated assault and domestic battery charges against his wife. His case ascended to the felony-level Platt County District Court on Wednesday. It includes allegations that he ran down his wife with a truck, pointed a loaded gun at her, thrust a knife at her, hurled her across a floor, tossed her down the hill, kicked her in the ribs and head, ground his fist into her teeth, raped her, and yanked her head, yanked her head around by her hair. Wow. So, new charges come after a dismissed 2021 case that went to the Carbon County District Court in 2022. In that case, Authorities charged this man with aggravated assault, domestic battery, and marijuana possession for allegedly smashing his truck into his wife's car and pushing her out of his truck onto the ground while keeping a jar of marijuana inside his truck. A jar? A jar. Converse County District Court Judge F. Scott Peasley ordered the case dismissed without prejudice on June 27, 2022, meaning prosecutors could bring the case again. The order followed a motion by Converse County Deputy Attorney Sean G. Wild requesting dismissal at this man's wife's request. This time, the case looks different. His wife supplied a lengthy statement to Platte County Sheriff's Office Deputy Mason Stillwell this spring, and she filed for divorce. Thank God. The earliest reported attack was about June 10, 2021, when his wife said he was cheating on her, according to an affidavit that was filed on April 24th. The wife fled. As she drove toward the interstate, he caught up to her in his truck and blocked the road so she couldn't get onto the interstate. He then allegedly got out of his truck and aimed a pistol at her face. She threw her car in reverse and tried to back away. Somehow, 
The affidavit doesn't say how. The pair later reunited. She brought up the pistol incident. Quote, I wasn't going to pull the trigger, he allegedly protested. So, November 7th, 2021, the pair were again fighting about his suspected cheating. Obviously, she's unbothered about the gun in her face. The wife tried to leave in her car, but he took her keys and wouldn't let her leave. She set out for the interstate on foot. He caught up with her in his truck, tried to run her over, the document claims, so she ran until she ran out of energy and couldn't run anymore. He took her phone and went home, the wife told law enforcement, but... She kept going and made it to the interstate where a deputy intercepted her and drove her back to her home to get her car. So his wife, back in April of 2022, approached her husband about having sent, quote, thousands of dollars to his ex-wife, the affidavit claims. Quote, next thing she knew, she was being thrown across the kitchen floor, the document continues, adding that she hit the corner of the cabinet with her face and shoulder and couldn't speak or move for a few minutes. He told her to get up, the woman recalled in her later police interview, but she could not get up. So he allegedly started kicking her in the head and the stomach, then dragged her across the cement of the floor to the bedroom until her knees bled. The affidavit next describes two alleged rapes. So then in June of 2022, so two months later, he chased his wife with a silver bladed knife because she told him, quote, you should spend more time with your son. She tried to jump over the sectional, but didn't manage to clear it. He jumped over the top of the couch, got onto her with the knife in his hand, the affidavit alleges, and thrust the knife towards her with stabbing motions several times while saying that he was going to kill her. He kept his left fist pressed against her face, grinding it so hard against her that it broke her dentures. It says, I begged him to, please stop doing this in front of your son, the wife related. Quote, fuck that, he has seen it already, end quote, this man replied. And it's just on and on. He jumped onto the bed on another day, grabbed her hair, as he always does when he's angry. The document claims it began to whip her head around like holding onto her hair before forcing her head sideways onto a pillow. She thought he'd broken her neck. She did not seek medical treatment. Her neck was still hurting when she filed for divorce. The deputy asked the woman what it feels like when he uses her hair to whip her head around. Quote, it feels like my hair is separating from my scalp, she said. So anyway, oh, I hope he spends a long time in prison. I'm glad she got away from him now, but I don't know. I guess I'm just built different. So for our next article, it comes from azfamily.com, Arizona's family. Uh, the title is DPS, second body found on Arizona state capitol grounds in less than two weeks. So coming out of Phoenix, a body was found at the Arizona state capitol Monday morning. This is the second body to be found on the property in less than two weeks. The Arizona Department of Public Safety says the body was found in the west parking lot of the Capitol around 6 a.m. by a passerby near 19th Avenue and Washington Street. DPS is investigating how the body ended up there and is working to identify the person. This is the second body found on Capitol premises recently. The first was less than two weeks ago on July 26th and is still under 
investigation. Well, that's interesting. I That kind of makes me curious because is it two females, two males? Is there a pattern? Are they both Caucasian or Latino or, you know, whatever? Is there a pattern? Because if there's two, we could very well have a serial killer in Arizona. So I'll see if I can keep up with that. And speaking of found bodies, foxnews.com, coming out of Maryland, the title reads, Maryland officials find a body near trail woman reportedly vanished from after going for a walk. So Maryland law enforcement officials say they believe they have recovered the body of a woman who reportedly disappeared Saturday evening after going for a walk on a nature trail in Bel Air. During a press conference on Sunday evening, Hartford County Sheriff Jeff Gaylor Goller said the body of a woman had been found off the Ma and Pa Trail in Bel Air just after 1 p.m. The sheriff said 37-year-old Rachel Morin's boyfriend reported to police at about 11.30 p.m. on Saturday night that she headed out from her home at about 6 p.m. to go for a walk on the Ma and Pa Trail. When she did not return as expected, Morin's boyfriend reported his girlfriend missing, telling police her car was at the trailhead in Bel Air, but she was not. When deputies searched the area, they were able to locate the vehicle at the Williams Street entrance to the trail. The vehicle has since been taken to the Criminal Investigations Division building to be processed. At 1.07 p.m. on Sunday, a citizen called 911 to report they found the body of a woman off the trail, and Gaylor said the investigation went from a missing person case to a homicide. While Gaylor said he believes the body is Morin, he could not say for certain until the medical examiner confirms the identity and cause of death, which has not happened. Quote, we have to let the process do what it's supposed to do, the sheriff said. He went on to say he understands homicides cause a lot of concern in the community, especially at a trail like the Ma and Pa Trail, which is traditionally known as a safe place. Within a 24-hour period, two women went missing, Morin and then another woman, Karen Elliott, 58 years old. So Elliot was last seen at her home in Bel Air at about 2.20 p.m. on Saturday, wearing a green shirt and blue jeans. Oh, the same Saturday? Did they both disappear on the same day? That's unusual. She was wearing a green shirt and blue jeans. She was also seen heading into the wooded area behind Cypress Drive in Bel Air. On Sunday afternoon, a robocall went out to the surrounding community saying the second day of searching for Elliot had concluded and that the sheriff's office did not believe there was any danger to the community. Still, they asked anyone with information about Elliot's whereabouts to call 410-612-1717. Both cases are unrelated. This is what the sheriff is saying. The sheriff could not say whether a suspect had been arrested in the Morin investigation or whether it was a targeted case, but he is hoping that that will change quickly. So this is still a highly active investigation. If they are unrelated, I would like to know more. I mean, I guess we do have to let the process do what it's supposed to do, right? But I would like to know why they think they're unrelated. That's kind of my thing when they say, oh, these two things are completely unrelated. I always want to know why. Why do you think that? Anyway, 
So this article comes from theindependent.co.uk, and the title reads, Almost 100 people arrested for alleged child sex abuse in massive bust after two FBI agents were murdered. 13 children rescued from harm after joint operation in U.S. and Australia. Oh, I love it when we all work together. Where are my Australia peeps? Leave a little comment. So this says almost 100 people have been arrested for alleged child sex abuse and 13 children were rescued in an international operation two years after a pair of FBI agents investigated the ring were murdered. The FBI says that 79 arrests, 65 indictments, and 43 convictions were secured in the U.S., while 19 men were also arrested in Australia. The arrests came after Daniel Alfin and Laura Schwarzenberger were shot dead in 2021 while executing a search warrant in Sunrise, Florida, for a computer programmer linked to the ring. The alleged abuse ring was a peer-to-peer network, said Australian Federal Police Commander Helen Schneider, with some suspects committing offenses for over 10 years. Some of the children were known to the men who were arrested, she added. The investigation in Australia began in 2022 when the FBI passed on information about Australian suspects sharing child abuse material on the dark web. Investigators in the country say that most of the alleged Australian suspects had professional IT skills. Suspected network members used, quote, software to anonymously share files, chat on message boards, and access websites within the network, using encryption and other methods to avoid law enforcement detection, according to AFP. And Ms. Schneider added, viewing, distributing, and producing child abuse material is a horrific crime, and the lengths that this network went to to avoid detection is an indication of just how dangerous they were. End quote. Officials say that 200 leads have been sent to partner countries and more than 300 investigations have been opened. You know, <clears throat> I am of a scientifically thinking mind, you know. I like to, I want to know the whys of things. You know, I can, I, I can understand and agree that people do absolutely horrible things, horrific, shitty things. But I just am very curious as to why. Why? What is that? Are they born that way? Were they conditioned to be that way? You guys know this. You guys know this. So I understand that there is a biological, you know, miswiring. It's very oversimplified, but like a miswiring in the brain when it comes to pedophilia and all of that, you know. But I that is the one area that just really clouds my mind is when it comes to kids. I just cannot. I absolutely cannot. If you cannot help your attraction, you need to keep your damn hands to yourself. I understand that there's an impulse control issue there. There's a lot of things going on. I shouldn't be preaching. I'm just saying the the stuff when it comes to kids, it just really pisses me off. And then keeping in the vein with crazy Florida shit, we have an article from usatoday.com. Title reads, 32 vehicles found in Florida Lake by divers working missing person cold cases. 
So, an effort that started with a private search company working missing persons cold cases led a team of divers to find nearly three dozen cars underwater in a South Florida lake, police confirmed. Investigators Doug Bishop and Ken Fleming told Local 7 News on Sunday they found 32 cars while diving in a murky lake in Doral, Florida, just west of Miami International Airport. Boom. The body of water where the divers found the vehicles is in a commercial area surrounded by businesses including a Walmart supercenter, a car dealership, and several popular chain restaurants. Bishop is an investigator with United Search Corps and nonprofit group based in South Beach that aims to crack missing person cold cases. Underwater video footage obtained by the outlet shows one of the divers swim across one of the discovered vehicles. Doral Police Department Commander Alicia Neal told USA Today the department is working with multiple agencies to investigate the men's findings. Quote, we have been informed that a private search company possibly located multiple sunken vehicles in the area of 9064 Northwest 13th Terrace. We will continue to gather further information in the coming days. Miami-Dade Police Department Detective Louise Sierra confirmed the agency is investigating the case and plans to remove the vehicles from the water. Quote, we are coordinating with our divers and looking to pull out the vehicles sometime tomorrow. Time is still TBD to be determined. So, so far, the local TV station has it that they found 60 submerged vehicles across Florida, some of which could be linked to crimes. Quote, when we discover a spot like this with multiple vehicles, it pretty much indicates that a crime took place where they're disposing the vehicles and hiding them from law enforcement. Well, no shit, Sherlock. I mean, why else would you just be dumping a bunch of cars in a lake? I mean, unless it was the car dealership and they're like doing some you know, inventory tax fraudy stuff, you know, I don't know, it's Florida, who knows, right? <laughs> so our next one comes from PerezHilton.com. Um, I don't, I don't know if he's like a reliable news source. I know it's like celebrity gossip kind of stuff. So take this with a grain of salt, but I found it kind of funny. Well, it's not funny. It's not funny. That was rude. PerezHilton.com title is YouTube chef Daniel Sancho Broncalo arrested for allegedly dismembering X after botched breakup. A popular YouTube star has been arrested for murder, exclamation point. Daniel, who is the son of Spanish actor Rodolfo Sancho and actress Silvia Broncalo, was arrested in Thailand earlier this month, police told NBC News. Daniel, who works as a chef and was in Thailand on vacation, was charged with premeditated murder and the concealing and removing of body parts to cover up the death or cause of death of Colombian cosmetic surgeon Edwin Arrieta Ortega. Removal of body parts. So per reports, the victim's dismembered remains were found at a landfill on the tourist island of Koh Phangan. Phangan? Fangen, and the suspect was detained shortly after. The island is known for its monthly full moon parties, according to many outlets. The provincial police commander, I'm, I'm done butchering names, told CBS News that Daniel actually came in to report a missing person after the initial body parts were found and was then taken into custody. 
The YouTuber later confessed, say police, but denied the murder was premeditated. So the police captain told the NBC News correspondent that on August 2nd, the 29-year-old admitted to the killing, claiming he had tried to break up with Edwin since the YouTuber was engaged to someone else in Indonesia, but the doctor was unwilling to split. The breakup escalated to violence. Daniel told cops he punched the 44-year-old who then hit his head on a bathtub. The surgeon then allegedly bit the chef on the hand. Daniel said that in his pain, he proceeded to thrash Edwin's head against the tub until he died. Per the authorities, Daniel then admitted to dismembering the body and throwing bags of the body parts in the landfill and the sea. Well, that's heavy. And then for our final article... It comes from abcnews.go.com. The title reads, Exclusive, Serial Killers Home Movies. Um, I'm assuming this is supposed to be St. Louis. There's a big typo in it. January 9th, 2003. So when police in St. Louis searched the home of suspected serial killer Maury Travis last summer, whom, by the way, I have covered, they found a secret torture chamber in the basement with bondage equipment, a stun gun, and clippings about the slayings he was suspected of. But most chilling of all, they found a videotape containing footage of his crimes. The tape, labeled Your Wedding Day, showed Travis tying women up and torturing and raping them. One scene showed him apparently strangling one of his victims to death. The scenes on the tape were so disturbing that the police chief ordered psychological counseling for the officers who viewed them. Quote, they'll give you nightmares, he told ABC News' prime time. Travis, a 36-year-old hotel waiter, hanged himself in jail before admitting to any of the murders, but St. Louis police believe he killed between 12 and 20 women. They have identified 12 of his victims as drug-addicted prostitutes whose bodies were dumped along city streets and county roads in the St. Louis area between March 2001 and May 2002. But in a letter Travis sent to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, which helped lead police to him, he boasted of killing 17 women. And apparently five of them are still missing. So St. Louis police released excerpts from the videotape to ABC News, which are being broadcast nationwide for the first time on Primetime Thursday. Horrific scenes on a wedding tape. So it says, police believe Travis picked up prostitutes along a strip of Broadway just north of St. Louis that is riddled with crack houses and prostitution, then took them to his ranch-style home in Ferguson, a nearby suburb. And I can tell you, the more... I don't live in St. Louis. I, I live kind of on the other side of Missouri, but I've been to St. Louis a lot, and I'm telling you, it seems like the more east and north you go, the more dangerous it is. And East St. Louis? No. No, 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 no. So anyway, they searched his house, right? Well, they found numerous videotapes in Travis's home showing him giving the prostitutes crack cocaine to smoke, then having consensual sex with them. He apparently let some of the women leave at that point. The, quote, wedding tape included similar scenes, including a shot of a woman sitting on Travis's bed after an introductory caption, another crackhead hoe. 
but it showed that in some cases, police are not sure how he chose his victims, Travis would start asking the women to engage in bizarre rituals, such as having them dance in white clothes or wear sunglasses with the lenses blackened so they could not see. Then he would take them captive, binding them with ropes and handcuffs, and covering their eyes with duct tape. He would then begin to torment them, either in the bedroom or after dragging them downstairs to the basement and shackling them to a wooden post. And I w I'm not encouraging you to Google that and that there would be a picture there if you wanted to see that. So the excerpts the police released to Prime Time Show, Travis tormenting the women verbally, taunting them about their fate and haranguing some of them over how they had abandoned their children for crack. One exchange with an unidentified victim went as follows. Travis said, you want to say something to your kids? The victim, I'm sorry. Travis, who's raising your kids? The victim said, me, my mom and dad. Travis says, you ain't raising shit, bitch. You're over here on your back smoking crack. You ain't going home tomorrow. I'm keeping you about a week. Is that all right? Uh, so he forced one victim to say to him, quote, you are the master. It pleases me to serve you. When he didn't like the way she said it, he yelled at her, Say it clearer! When another victim tried to remove the duct tape covering her eyes and knocked his camera out of focus, he told her, You don't need to see shit. Lay down on your back. Shut your eyes. At one point, a woman can be heard gasping in agony as he orders her to sit still. Tape shows apparent strangulation. So, yeah, this guy was absolutely no joke. It was... That one was a pretty serious situation. So that's what I have for you right now. Is that all I have for you? No, but that's all I have for you right now. Because I'm thinking about most likely probably going to start recording uh, news for Friday morning. So we will have Monday morning murder in the news. And then perhaps the podcast will be released on Wednesdays instead of Thursdays. We'll say Wednesday or Thursday. And then an additional news piece on for Friday morning, because that seems to be the consensus. Um, I asked everyone, hey, do you guys want me to create a separate podcast for this? Because I understand that some people are here just for the true crime stories, the regular podcast stuff. But it was an absolutely overwhelming, just put it all on the same one. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, if I don't happen to have a lot of news articles for Friday, maybe Friday might be missed. But so far, I think you're going to have news on Monday, pod on Wednesday, news on Friday. So thoughts and prayers, guys, thoughts and prayers. So have a great week, okay? Um, we're getting close to the middle of August. So for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, that means that in about a month, um, the, we will no longer need gills to breathe. It won't be soup for air. And that will be fantastic because the heat can fuck all the way the right off. Um, those of you in the Southern Hemisphere, I hope winter wasn't horrific for you. But anyway, have a great week. Try to get along. See you next time. Love you guys. Bye.